Things are changing in lots of ways, including, uh, <clears throat> including the front seats of cars. There was a day, I remember, when uh, cars had bench seats, when the seat would run from the passenger's, passenger's door to the driver's door, and, and now there's a column in between with maybe an armrest and, you know, eight cup holders there in the front seat. And, but not in the old days, in the old days, especially in pickup trucks, well, in all cars. But I, what I remember are pickup trucks, and there would be, some of you might remember this, um, the man would be driving and the, his girlfriend would sit right up there, right up next to him in the pickup. Anybody remember people doing that? Any of you ever had, yes, yeah, some of you all, ladies, any of you ladies ever sat by your boyfriend? Over, you know, that's, that could be incriminating, don't, uh, don't say that. So they used to sit next to each other. So you might know, if you remember that, you might know the story about the, uh, the man and woman who'd been married for years and years. And uh, they had a, he had a pickup truck with a bench seat. And um, they were driving down the road, he driving, she in the passenger side. She was seated, seated over there near the door on the opposite end of the bench seat. And she said, you know, in the old days, I remember when, when we used to sit close together when we would ride around in this old pickup. He thought for a moment and said, well, I ain't the one who moved. <laughs> We've been talking about wandering, and if you have wandered, God ain't the one who moved. Robert Robinson wrote that beautiful poetry that we've been singing for three weeks. He said, oh, to grace, how great a, date, a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. And then he pleaded, let thy goodness like a fetter. A fetter is a chain usually associated with a prisoner that usually was on the ankle. Let thy goodness like a chain around the ankle bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. He knew he had such a propensity to wander, such a proclivity to wander, such a proneness to wander that he pleaded, God, just chain me. Chain my heart to you. But God doesn't do that. He does not chain hearts. He doesn't bind us with a fetter. He gives, us, he gives us freedom to wander. Alan Hirsch is from Australia. He said that in Australia, in the, on the typical farm, there are fences to keep the cattle in, of course. And that makes sense. But there are some farms so big, we might call them ranches, that, that fences are just not practical. And so he said there are some in those huge farms in the outback of Australia where they don't, the, the farmer doesn't build a fence. The farmer builds a, a well in the middle of the field. It's as if the farmer is saying, you know, if you want to wander off, you can. But right here, right here is going to be the source of your life. I'm going to put the water, the clear, cool water right here. God doesn't build fences. He builds a well. And he says right here, right, right next to me is life at its best. Life that has its best possibility of being purposeful and meaningful, life that has its best possibility of being healthy, 
right here next to me within the parameters of the moral and ethical standards that I've given you, right here is life at its best. But one of the, one of the messages of the New Testament is that we have freedom to wander, and that's dangerous. It's dangerous for the cattle in the outback of Australia. Think about it. One of those knuckle-headed cows might decide, you know, the, the grass might be greener and the water might be sweeter just over that mountain, and so the the cow could wander off, but he might wander into the wolves. He might wander into the, I don't know, the cattle thieves. The God gives us the freedom to wander, but wandering is dangerous. From the text in Joel 2 that you heard read a moment ago, there are four phrases that, that I want us to, to spend a few minutes on. The first one is, Sound the alarm and tremble. Sound the alarm. Now, when, I, when I'm traveling and I don't know exactly where I'm going, I have my, a GPS on my phone, and when I miss a turn, there's a sweet voice, a sweet lady's voice. I have prog that, programmed this sweet lady's voice who, um, who says, rerouting. She's so polite. But if my house is on fire, it's not a sweet lady's voice. Does your smoke alarm ever go off accidentally? Why? It, it doesn't. There's not a sweet. There, there seems to be an increasing warmth in, in the house. It doesn't say that. It, it's like, why? And then, well, then we call 911 and down at the fire station, there's not a gentle voice that says, when you finish your coffee break, you might want to drive over to 2910 Tantalon Drive, it's on fire. No, there's a, why? There's a big alarm. Alarm means, hey, this is a big deal. Sound the alarm, he said, and tremble. This is not something you should just kind of feel bad about. You should shake in your boots if you have wandered. This is written by Joel at a time when Israel had wandered, and this was a recurring theme for Israel. They would do right, and then they'd wander, and then God would send a prophet like Joel, and they'd come back, and then they'd wander again. Well, this was a period of their wandering, and he talks about a drought, and he talks about locusts. Uh, this drought and locusts were signs and a warning, signs of God's displeasure and a warning to come back. This is a big deal. Sound the alarm, he said. He wasn't whispering to encourage them to return. This is a big deal. Wandering is not taken lightly in the Bible. Second Peter talks about people who are wandering and he says when people of God wander it's like a sow like a female pig who's in, the, who's in the mud and you get her out and you clean her off and then she goes right back to the mud and when that happens on TV and the cartoons that's funny but if you've ever been on a pig farm it ain't funny it is very unpleasant second image he's, he gives is that when people of God wander it's like a dog that vomits and then goes back and eats that vomit. Now, I know that's unple unpleasant and gross, and I, I, I thought all week about dressing it up. I thought, you know, I'll talk about regurgitation or something like that. But then I decided it's not my role, not my place to, to downplay that. I do think that we have a tendency as a culture uh, to downplay the unpleasantness of that which is wrong, of that which is sin. You know, we justify it, we rationalize it, we, we claim brokenness, we don't often claim 
sinfulness. And this is where counseling gets tricky. Please follow me on this. I believe in counseling. I don't want there to be any question about that. Our family has been in the counselor's office. But counseling is a little tricky when you've wandered because if we're not careful, we'll try to counsel our way out of our guilt. Follow me. If you have wandered and you've come home and you've been forgiven and you've been reinstated, you've thrown yourself on the mercy of God, he has forgiven you. And if you still feel shame, if you still have that regret that from, from past mistakes and you, you go to get counseling to deal with that shame, then that's a very good thing. But if you're wandering, if you're still out there, and you go to a counselor to try to counsel your way out of the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, then then that is bad. That is bad. Don't try to counsel your way out out of guilt. Shame is one thing. Shame, when we've been forgiven and we still feel ashamed, that's one thing. But when we're wandering and and God's Spirit, and I know I sound like an old-fashioned preacher, but when the Holy Spirit is after you and you go to counseling and try to get out of that, then you're making a big mistake. Sound the alarm. You ought to be shaking in your boots. This This is a big deal to God. So he says, he says, sound the alarm. And tremble. Don't try to explain it away. This week, big time, big time athlete was challenged for bad behavior. He said, "I'm only human. I don't have to be perfect for you. I'm just going to be me." Pretty typical, typical in our culture of just downplay, explain away our badness. God says alarms ought to be going off. Second. He says, rend your heart, not your clothes. In Joel's day, they used to sit in the the streets and tear their clothes to demonstrate how sorry they were. But Joel says, God's not looking for theatrics. He's not looking for drama. He's not looking for histrionics. He's looking for people whose hearts are broken, who feel the weight of what they have done. My understanding is that in the courtrooms, Prosecutors and, and judges look for remorse. And I know it's hard to judge anybody's heart, but they look for signs of genuine remorse because without remorse, nobody ever changes. Without feeling the weight of what we've done so that we don't explain it away, we don't counsel it away, but we allow ourselves to experience the weight of the harm that we've done to ourselves, the harm that we've done to other people, the, the, the way we've broken our, God, our God's heart. You know, we've been looking at Peter for two weeks. Peter, you remember, denied Jesus, but he came back. He was forgiven. He was reinstated. And his first step back is described in that sentence that says, he went out and he wept bitterly. Peter didn't explain it away. He didn't justify it. He didn't try to rationalize it. He wept bitterly. He he allowed himself to feel the weight of of what he had done to Jesus. He says, rend your heart. Let your heart be broken, not your clothes. Don't just sit around pretending, man, I wish I hadn't done this. But let let yourself feel the remorse of of your wandering. Sound the alarm. Rend your heart. Then he says, return to me. In the most famous story of a wanderer in history, the story of the prodigal son, 
He's in a pig pen. You know the story. Jesus said in that pig pen, he, he came to himself. He came to his senses. In the King James, it says he came to himself. Later versions say he came to his senses. He looked around in that pig pen and, and decided, I do not belong here. But that's not repentance. It was when in the next verse, Jesus said he got up and went home. That's, that's repentance. Not just realizing I don't belong here. Some of us need to return to what we used to do. Revelation 2.5 says, look at where you've fallen. Look around. I don't belong here. Look at where you've fallen. Repent and return to your first works. Some of you have left your first works. There are things you used to do, part of your spiritual discipline that you don't do anymore. Some of you used to love this book. And you'd sit around and read it, not because you had to, but because you drew life from it and you don't anymore. Some of you used to give sacrificially of your finances to support the work of God as a spiritual discipline, but not so much anymore. Some of you used to pray, not just in emergencies, but because you drew life from that relationship. Some of you used to be in his house, among his people, every week. Now you're here just kind of hit and miss. If I could be so bold, there's somebody watching us by television who should be in your church, and you know that. I'm glad you're watching. Please understand me. But Some of you have wandered, and you know you ought to be in your church. Look at where you've, look at where you've fallen. Look, what, look, look around you and repent and return to the works that you used to to do. So God says, sound the alarm. You ought to be shaking in your boots. This wandering thing, this is a big deal. And then he says, feel the remorse. Don't just tear your clothes and play like you're sad, but let, let your heart feel the remorse. Don't try to counsel it away. Feel the remorse of, of your sin and then return to me. Those are the words of God. And then Joel says, God will restore what the locusts ate. Isn't that interesting? So Joel says these locusts that have come in, they're, they're a sign that God is real, really displeased with us, and they're warnings that we need to return. So the locusts have eaten the crops, but Joel says, if we will return, God will restore what the locusts ate. Maxine Marcellini wrote a wonderful book titled Blended Families. She's divorced. Her present husband is divorced. They know the, the pain of wandering. They know the pain of broken families. But, but they're, they're married, and they're building a new family, a blended family with his kids and her kids. They're, they've blended their families. And she wrote this book, a deeply devoted follower of Jesus. She writes this book, Blended Families, and she goes back to Joel chapter 2 and talks about the locusts. And she goes, she talks about southern Africa where the locusts will descend in swarms, millions of them, so thick, so many that they block out the light of the sun and they'll descend onto a field and they'll just eat everything up. And of course, the people around there are devastated. But locusts die. Apparently, they, they eat too much, and, and they die. And so now you've got all those locust carcasses 
that fall to the ground and they, um, and they, they provide great fertilizer for the next year so that the next year the harvest is wonderful and beautiful and plentiful. And she says, for us, God has restored what the locusts have eaten. Would you listen carefully? We're witnessing this in our own lives. The dark years of divorce, the struggles to adapt in our own strength to blend our families, the years without prayer, and all the anger and selfishness were devouring us. These days were given over to the locusts. But when by God's grace we chose to recognize them as bearers of death, excuse me, bearers of life, something wonderful began to happen. A heavy spirit gave way to the light of his presence. Out of the discoveries made by looking back at the years of desolation came fresh nourishment for our lives. Wandering can be costly. Has your wandering, has your wandering cost you? Sometimes wandering costs people their jobs. Sometimes it costs them their families. Sometimes wandering costs us opportunities and wasted time. Has your wandering cost you? I cannot, it is not mine to promise that everything will ever be back exactly like it was. There are consequences to our wanderings. But God can restore what the locusts have eaten. New joy. New relationships. New marriage. New life. Louisa Fletcher wrote, I wish there were some wonderful place called the land of beginning again where all our mistakes and all our heartaches and all our poor selfish grief could be laid like a shabby old coat at the door and never be put on again. There is a land of beginning again where God restores what the locusts have eaten. It's called grace. God's unconditional, undeserved, unlimited, unrelenting, won't let you go, love. Sound the alarms and tremble. This wandering thing is a big deal in God's eyes. It's like a dog returning to its vomit. Feel the remorse of, of your sinfulness. Don't try to just deal with it. And then return. And then when you do, God restores and gives new opportunities and new joy and new life. I was 13 years old when... Tony Orlando and Dawn sang, tie a yellow ribbon round the old oak tree. Y'all remember that? It was a, it's a great song about a man. He's on a bus. He says, um, it's been, uh, I, see, something, I've done my time. It's been something, I've done my time. And then he's on the bus and he's coming home. And he says, uh, so he's been in prison. He says to his family, if you'll have me back, then just, tie a yellow ribbon around the old oak tree, and I'll know I'm welcome home. If not, he says, I'll stay on the bus, forget about us, and put the blame on me. Well, apparently, there's a real live, genuine, bona fide story behind that song. I've seen it in two different places. Now, the, the details vary a bit. But apparently, there was a real live story behind that song. Last couple, last, well, last Sunday I sang, um, in closing, I sang part of that 
softly and tenderly that old gospel hymn that says, come home, come home. And then uh, Friday, uh, Sunday afternoon at 5, we had a business meeting, and Tally Fanning said, um, when, I was, uh, when I was a little boy, my dad used to do a, a recitation with that song at Gospel Sings. So he said there'd be a, some people standing behind his dad, and they would sing a, a verse, softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling and at the end of one verse, he would, he would tell the story. And then when he finished the story, they would sing the next verse. Well, this is a story his dad used to tell, the story behind, tie a yellow ribbon around the old oak tree. So there was a young man on a train, rumbling through the countryside, who bowed his head and began to weep. The stranger, sitting next to him, asked him, what's wrong? The young man bore his heart to the stranger. Years earlier, the young man had been so incorrigible, so unruly, so mean, that his mom and dad had made the heartbreaking decision to tell him he couldn't stay at home. If you can't abide by our rules, they said, you'll have to leave. So leave he did. But now, with years had brought some reflection and some maturity, and, and he, wanted, he wanted to go home. But he remembered how he'd left it and that look in the eyes of his mom and dad when he'd left. And he thought, I may have burned my bridges. I might not be welcomed. So he said to the stranger, I've, I've written a letter. I wrote a letter to my mom and dad. And he said, this railroad track goes right by my old home place where mom and dad still live. And he said, there's an apple tree down by the railroad track. And he said, I, I told mom and dad in the letter that if I'm welcome home, just, uh, just tie a white rag in that apple tree. If I don't see a rag, he said, I, will, I told him, I will fully understand because I know what I've done to you. We're getting close, he said. I can't bear to look. It's okay, the stranger said. I'll look for you. And then... And then um, the stranger began to laugh. <laughs> he said, young man, you don't have anything to worry about. That apple tree is so full of white rags, it looks like it's in full bloom. Wait, he said. There's a white-haired man and a white-haired woman. They're waving a big white sheet by that apple tree. You know what I think God looks like? I think God looks like a white-haired man and a white-haired woman waving a big white sheet saying to his sons and his daughters who have wandered, let there be no doubt you are welcome home. And so on his behalf, I plead with you 
to come home. 